breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. But I, but my goal is to take over the big tent. See, I don't want to be an outlier. I want to be. I want to take control of the tent. All right, guys, welcome back to the Grime America Show. We're going to be chatting with Philip Camella a little bit later. A little collapse of materialism. Uh, but first, the uh, greedy, greedy Graham Dunlop. <laughs> it sounded like you were ready to say that. Yeah, buddy, I'm doing good. <clears throat> yeah, and I'd like to welcome Red Pill Junkie with us today in this intro. Back to the Grand America show. Hey, man, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to chat with you again. We uh, we have uh, listeners constantly requesting your presence. Oh, <laughs> well, that's good to know that people haven't got tired of my... Jibber-jabber? My jibber-jabber, Mex- my Mexican accent. I think people like it. I think an acquired it, taste. Yeah. Once you get used to it, you can't get enough of it. That's right. There you go. Fans in the chat room. So how you been, buddy? Well, as you already know, I uh, went through a bit of a very interesting change uh, just by the end of last week, you know, by closing the chapter of the my weekly column, the Red Pills of the Week at Mysterious Universe. Yeah, it's too bad. I'm sad to see them go. Are they still yeah. still be archived? Yeah, well, I, I'm sure they will. I'm I'm I'm, I'm sure that. Well, <laughs> after all, they paid good money for it, you know, and I don't see why they should erase them, you know, out of their their servers. Yeah, it's, I'm still linked to linked to them, so people can still go check out the last stuff at least. Yeah, it's a good idea. I don't think I've updated it since December, though. So let's get let's give people an, an uh, update on on where you're working right now. Then, so do you do you blog? You're gonna still blog for Mysterious Universe uh, every now and then. Yes, that is the the intended plan. You know that even though the weekly uh, dominical column is now officially closed and I I like to think that uh, it went out with a bank with the, the very last red pills uh, I still intend to to be a, a regular or semi-regular contributor for Mysterious Universe you know but instead of coming up with these top 5 or top 10 news story lists now it will be more uh, singly uh, focused on, on on one main topic, you know, which may or not mean may not be uh, about some trending news, you know, which is kind of good because you know sometimes it's it can be kind of difficult, you know, to to find the the fourteen angle or, or 
or some news that is getting all the buzz on the the mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, that must have been a challenge. Sometimes you have to force it. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. So then, do you also blog for um, the Daily Grail still? Oh yeah, well, the Daily Grail is still my main gig. You know, I mean. First and foremost, I'm a grailer, as we yeah. call ourselves, yeah. and I'm still uh, con- doing my my duties as a news administrator, and also, you know, trying to come up with more uh, original content. You know, I think one of the last things that I did for Daily Grail, which I'm really proud of, was a very thorough book review of uh, Graham Hancock's novel War God. Nice. Huh. You know, I thought that, well, you know, since I'm Mexican, since I know the the subject probably better than most of the people who are visiting the site, you know, I might as well, you know, go and try to to give my opinion on the matter. And also, you know, doing something that maybe most uh, people who reviewed the book didn't do, which is, you know, to approach it from what I I call the Gnostic angle of the story, because, you know, I, I, I see Graham Hancock as something of a, a Gnostic individual, someone who has a very Gnostic um, perspective on things, you know. And, can, well, can you define that for people a little bit more? Sure. Well, it's not really that... It's easy and difficult at the same time because I think that Gnostic is the kind of uh, terminology that some uh, everybody might have a like a different <laughs> interpretation yeah, of it. Yeah, that's, you know? that's kind of why I asked. Yeah. So basically, the idea, the core idea behind Gnosticism, the way I see it, you know, is that the Gnostic realizes that reality is not what it appears to be, you know? Okay. At first sight, you know, that our our senses betray us, even our, our, our mind betray us into, into accepting uh, a very shallow and very, a very narrow uh, version of, of, of reality because what, what we can perceive with our senses, we can, what we can understand with our mind is just a very narrow uh, section of a much wider spectrum, you know? And also a key component in Gnosticism is the idea that, well, the, the, the old Gnostics believed that the material world uh, had not been uh, created by, by God, you know, by the main deity, but it was the... the, the uh, the creation the of some uh something they call the demiurge you know and then we you 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 come up with the the concept of the archons you know this kind of like uh entities are intent are intent upon uh imprison human beings for their own selfish purposes hmm. and that that idea it's very, very present in Graham Hancock's novel, you know, mm. without going into um, uh, a lot of details because I don't want to spoil it to anyone who hasn't read it yet. And I highly recommend it that you do so is the idea is that uh, Graham sees 
uh, the both both sides of this uh, historic conflict, you know, the clash of civilizations between the Western world, you know, the old world and the new world in the Americas, you know, in these yeah. cases, you know, the 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 Aztec Empire, you know, and at the at the, at the head of the Aztec Empire is this uh, Emperor Moctezuma who is a devout follower of this, you know, very blood, bloodthirsty deity that is uh, Huitzilopochtli. The, 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 trans, the, trans, the correct translation for that, well, it's, it's, it's actually a, mat, a matter of some debate, but some people in, uh, translate it as uh, left-handed hummingbird. Well, Graham Hancock calls it hummingbird in the rest of the novel, but the idea is that this this being is something of a, a demon, and it is not only deceiving uh, Moctezuma into doing you know uh, his bidding, but it's also manipulating uh, even Hernan Cortes, you know, the leader of the Spanish conquistadors, you know, and it uh, it appears before Cortes as the figure of. Uh, Saint Peter in his dreams, you know, and this is something that apparently Cortes mentions in his uh, letters or in his writings. I think the the uh, I don't know if he, if that is mentioned in his personal personal journal or of the letters that he wrote to the King of Spain, you know, Emperor uh, Charles V. Uh, he was keeping a, a constant correspondence with the king in order to try to validate, you know, to legalize, you know, his uh, position of uh, of the legitimate conqueror of the new Spain. Mm. So, so th that is kind of like the, the the main theme of the of the of the book: the idea that there is this uh, supernatural being that a historian will see as well, just you know. The the religious beliefs, you know, the 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 mythology or the well, the beliefs of these two individuals, you know, that has really no basis in reality. But Graham Hancock's kind of like uh, takes the position that well, maybe these beings actually exist. You know, I think that he arrives to this conclusion in part due to his own personal experiences yeah, when yeah. ingesting ayahuasca, right? Yeah, yeah. And the things that he has maintained that when he encountered this entity, she yeah. call, he calls Mother Ayahuasca, you know? <laughs> so I think that he is very open to the possibility that yes, there are entities living at higher or maybe even lower realms from the one that we experience during the everyday wake up, wake up, waking reality. Right, you know? right. Huh. That reminds me of the book I'm reading right now. It's <clears throat> it's uh, called The Great Year, and it's by this couple, uh, uh, Rene DeFazio and his uh, his new wife. I can't remember her name now. But uh, we're having them on next week, and mm. it's a fascinating novel about um 
about history kind of and and it talks about like it goes back from like atlantis and so it's kind of got this new age twinge to it it's like indiana jones kind of with an eckhart tolle type thing to it so okay. it, so a lot of these great leaders it talk it, it goes into like the reincarnation of this dark energy along with this uh kind of like an emissary a light energy throughout mm. history and how you know they're kind of intertwined throughout history and it talks about these um you know these these kind of evil leaders uh, are reincarnations of this dark energy, and then the positive mm. energy is uh, you know reincarnated from tornado from the the emissary. Uh, super fascinating! I can't wait to chat with them next week about it. And I think that, you would really like that book too. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of some of the things that our friend Ephraim Palermo. Yeah. Yeah. Used to teach his novel, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it totally reminds me of that novel too, yeah. So I think a lot of people are are resonating with this idea and well maybe there is something to it. Maybe there is a reason why we keep revisiting these concepts over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Hopefully they'll both be a paradigm this year too. Ephraim and Graham. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So you're so we've had a three G uh theme tonight and and it looks like you're a what a, a you're a, a grail what did you call yourself a grailier a grailer yeah a grailer a grailian and a grammarian so that's uh okay that's the three grs right there we are like so what else do you uh, blog for then is that about it right now yeah, well, and also, you know, the Intrepid, the occasional uh, posting of the Intrepid blog, you know, are not really that frequent as they used to be back in 2012. But uh, I, I like to think that some of my best writings have been uh, posted on that platform, you know, and I intend to, you know, to keep... Uh, uh, selecting my most uh, thoughtful ideas, you know, to be published in Intrepid. So what about doing a review of Paradigm or something in Intrepid, eh? That would be, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, that would be interesting. You know, maybe you'll exactly like ah, the highlights of, of, of Paradigm 2014. Yeah, that's a good idea. We should, uh, we should set up one of those ourselves, AS3, uh, being at the symposium, do a little uh, summary. Yeah, I think we did kind of something like that uh, the last time for the Grand America podcast, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. when you you and I left dinner. Yeah. So we'll, we, need uh, a, we need a pocket tape recorder, though, so we can just hijack people in the street, chase them down. That'll be a random well, show, us chasing down all the speakers. Well, if you're not really that crazy about audio quality, you know, I think... In, any smartphone will do. Oh, I don't know. We should test. Let's do some know. tests on I'm that. Pretty particular. Jim Jim Harold last year had a great little a little digital recorder with a connected to like a just a normal mic with a pop filter on it. You know, if you, yeah, yeah, if you had a digital yeah. recorder, you could do it a lot easier. Everybody got fascinated with that he that little gizmo of his. You oh, know. Yeah? Yeah, Micah was like salivating every time he, he saw it, you know, and he kept telling us how he also had plans to like, you know, rig his own like portable uh, 
podcast, you know, uh, system, yeah, to, to make th those kind of uh, uh, on-site interviews. The problem, I think, is uh, <laughs> that uh, whenever you go to a TSA inspection, you know, these guys are really not that... Uh, sensitive you know about you know messing up with delicate equipment so maybe if you come up with something you know that fancy smancy that will like raise their suspicions and they will get their hands on it and maybe you know break it i think a digital recorder and a proper mic is all you really need yeah if you can get the new ones of built-in compression and everything Probably built-in limiter, the whole the nine yards. The mic with built-in stuff or the, the digital the, recorder? The recorder. Yeah. So what we're talking about, though, for, for the listeners, is the Paradigm Symposium 2014, which we're kind of pseudo-sponsoring. Like, we're going to be there. And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's in October 2nd to the 5th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I'll link to it in the show notes. But we've got a, a host of great speakers lined up. Or they've They've got a host of great speakers like Robert Bouval, Andrew Collins, Von Daniken, Richard Dolan, Barry Fitzgerald, Larry Flaxman, Thomas Fusco, Graham Hancock. I'm just going to keep going down here. Micah, Micah will be speaking, Micah Hanks, uh, Mar Mary D. Jones, Chase Klotsky, Dan Madsen, Nick Redfern, Scotty Roberts, Laird Scranton, John Ward, David Weatherly, and John Anthony West. Hopefully so. sneak someone else in there, too. A couple more people on that list. There's usually yeah. a few surprises. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we already have one surprise, right? I mean, we know that, or you guys told me that Randall Carlson is also coming to Paradigm. Uh, we think he might, and we might try and get him, uh, get him on stage. Okay, that will be awesome. Yeah. I think that Micah should definitely have Randall on the Grayling Report, even before the... Oh, yeah, yeah, for Both sure, yeah. And, you know, guys, we should also take this opportunity to congratulate our friend John Worth because I think it was announced last Sunday that uh, his daughter was born the, well, last Sunday. Wow. What? I didn't <laughs> even know he was expecting. No, he did a lie. No, he, he, he was. He posted, you know, some photos of his wife maria you know i mean with the, the, was <laughs> it conceived at paradigm 2013 no it can't it sure can i think we were it's there three months it's three months to fucking paradigm july to or august oh no, two months Ooh, it could be, oh, it's, well, the, end it's of the end of october though yeah. it's pretty close it could be right in okay. there so maybe it was uh, when they were guests at Scotty Roberts. <laughs> they don't name him Scotty. <laughs> oh, it's a her. Never mind. Well, congratulations so anyway, to them. Yeah, congrats. And well, like, uh, let's hope that someday we'll get to, to meet his daughter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's, fuck, that's crazy news. You heard it here first. Well, I guess not first, but you heard it. Yeah, here I think you heard it here I eventually. Think, yeah, I mean, the reason I knew about this is because someone uh, on the Micah Hanks show in the chat room mentioned that uh, during the Intrepid Radio program of last week, you know, I think the 
the the news came out you know that john was uh, very happy but also very tired because you know i think he had just came back from the hospital or something like that yeah that's interesting so it's kind of oh go ahead red sorry that is kind of interesting you know how things turn out just when i was ending my red pills of the, the, the week you know uh, John announces that you know his daughter is born. You know, to, goes to show you that you know Maybe for she's a for reincarnation e of the red pills. <laughs> yeah, well, goes to show you that for every ending, there's always a new, be oh. a, a new beginning. You know, yeah. that's nice. We so, should also take a minute and mention that this is another one of our lost tape episodes. So, oh yeah, right. Uh, we're gonna make a point of mentioning uh, Sir Roar and. Uh, Mm. Sir Roar in our studio for, for bailing us out. Yeah, and also apologize to Philip for the delay in release, but we had kind of like a, a little uh, mini shutdown there for a while trying to figure things out. I think it's George Roar. J-O-R-J-G-E. Is that George or Jorge? Jorge? No, no, no. Jorge. Jorge. I fucking knew it. It's, yeah, Jorge is from Ecuador. Oh, well, the next time, I, when I go down to Ecuador to do ayahuasca, then Jorge is getting a big kiss on the lips. <laughs> That would be a nice idea. I mean, the ayahuasca, <laughs> not the... Not the, <laughs> You know what I mean. So we got a couple... Uh, I, got, I got a little sort of synchro to talk about and some feedback from some listeners. Any spam? We haven't had spam. Oh, yeah, that's because our last episode is like three and a half hours long. And then before that, the episodes are missing for like a week and a half. We should also take a minute to thank Wayne Darnell, who's working hard on uh, fixing the site to, to get us back under our under our usage quota. I guess the way I slapped it together was the resources weren't streamlined enough to put up with our traffic, so we should be able to get away without raising the raising that up for a while now, thanks to Wayne. So that's DarnellDigitalInc.com. We'll have that in the show notes as well. All right. the, the official web guy of Grimerica. All right, I'll link to that too. Awesome. So I got I guess I'm not doing lesser feedback. It's time for the UFO quote of the week. Darren's trying to surprise me. You can see me. See me trying to I can get my shit together here. I like can see a squirm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. So this is, uh, hmm. To the UFO quote of the week. I doubt that the phenomenon was any terrestrial reflection because nothing of the kind has ever appeared before or since. I was so unprepared for such a strange sight that I was really petrified with astonishment. Now that's Dr. Clyde W. Tombaugh, American astronomer, astronomer, astronomer? <laughs> who, discovered the, <laughs> who discovered the planet Pluto on August 20th, uh -huh. 1949. He observed a UFO that appeared as a geometrically arranged group of six to eight rectangles of light. Golden rectangles of light? What? Golden rectangles yeah, of light? kind of like that's why I'm doing this quote, because it matches the Donald Duck episode. The episode of last week? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, Window-like in appearance and yellowish-green in color, which moved from northwest to southeast over Las Cruces, New Mexico. Nice, and that is, you know, in response to all those 
goddamn debunkers who keep telling you that no astronomer ever sees a UFO. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah? Well, you know, this guy who... Even who less astronomer see him. Yeah. Yeah, tell that to Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know. Maybe maybe he refuses to acknowledge this because he hates Pluto. <laughs> Speaking of the quote of the week, those should be coming up in the newsletter Justin's working so hard on, eh? That should come out in the next, I don't know, next few weeks. Anyway, a few weeks to a month, we should be able to start publishing that. So thanks for all your hard work there. Justin, you guys can stay tuned. Now we're ready for your synchronicity. Oh, are we? Okay. I'm in a I'm in a spirit crushing mood tonight too. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Well, this is uh, this is it's kind of kind of half synchronicity, half uh, precog kind of thing. Like, precog. It's more precog, but the two of them together makes a synchronicity. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my sister Joe talking to her friend, and she said to her friend. Um, I, I'm going to manifest a lawyer. So I guess Mm -hmm. she needed a a lawyer for her, her friend, a a legal matter for her friend. So she gets a text from a guy two hours later, who's a lawyer that she hasn't heard from in how many years? 20 years. Whoa. Ripple before the stick. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, she had a dream about this guy standing above a crowd of friends and her amongst her friends waving at each other and all this. How's it go? Just like that? Yeah. It's too bad the people can't see your little wave. <laughs> <Waving. there>. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, an email from him and she hadn't heard from him in five years. Okay, so when... Years. Whoa, 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 whoa. Five years or 20 years? 20 years ago, this, this, she got an email from him Okay. Right. Okay. Twenty after years the ago, was there even fucking email twenty years there, ago? Yeah. I don't know they. about that. Ninety-four people were emailing. Yes, dude. Yeah, where were you? You're too young for this. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were. You just watching you, you weren't Voltron allowed to have TV. email yet. <laughs> you were watching, <laughs> you know, <Cartoons>. Transformers. <laughs> Transformers, He-Man. <laughs> I have the power. It was saying, "Little Darren, I'm running around." Power of Grey America. <laughs> was your email Gman420? It was the Grey Man is at home dot com. Yeah, he had a the website for an email address. No, it was at home dot com. Was the oh, provider? I get it. So that was the Grey Man is at home. The Grey Man is at home dot com. Here to elaborate. Grey Man is at home. So Graham. When are we going to have your sister as a guest? Because there's just too many synchronicities and precognitions happening in her life. Yeah, I agree. Because they're working together to try and fucking slip one past me, but it ain't happening. It's a five. So, oh. let, it, <laughs> let it be this, an open invitation to Joe to come up to and chat with us. Okay, yeah, that's cool with me. She, I think she'd dig it. I'm glad she listens. She's in the chat room right now. She's probably, okay, I'm in, she says. Hey, <laughs> nice. Right on. Classic ripple before the stick. And the 14 mind says, I think it's less ripple as you are trying to manifest him. Hmm. It's more ripple. Yeah, more ripple. So I wonder how these tulpa lawyers, do, you, do they charge less or more? 
Topol lawyers? Yeah. I need to know more about <laughs> the court all, case. There wasn't a court case. Well, what's the lawyer for then? It's just a friend. I'm so confused. <laughs> we need a new conduit. The people deserve a better conduit. <laughs> I bet you the people are nearly nowhere nearly as confused as you. Okay. Yeah. So I've got some feedback um, from, we've got some new subscribers we'd like to say thank you, right? Especially, oh, yeah, especially now that course. we've uh, gone deeper into the, the whole fixing technical problems. Hmm. Um, We're still not sure if it was my technical problem or government conspiracy. Oh, right. The men in black. And it was user error, and I've heard that it, it was admitted before, so don't try and go back on it. Not now, on the air, it wasn't. If it wasn't admitted on the air, it didn't happen. <laughs> So anyways, he, uh, Dan White uh, emailed us. He subscribed. Thanks, buddy. And uh, l that really helps a lot. And he's glad to th see things are going well for us. He says uh, we've come along fast on our interview quality, as in questioning the guests. Mm. I, could, uh, I could hear it get better and better with each podcast. Now you guys sound like old pros and are, are asking the right questions. Many that I want answered, and more importantly, ones I didn't think of, but I'm grateful that we did think of it. So... I'm kind of flipping back in and out of tenses here, but uh, if you can, add Red Pill on as often as you can or he can. I've come to think of him as a part of the show, and he is missed when not around. So he says, uh, keep the shows coming, and best of luck on your show. And uh, he's sure that will be continued growth and success. So thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks. Yes, sir. And thanks to uh, Justin. Uh, I, my phone's not working. We'll do the uh, the thank you list next week. We do, I think we've got like we've got like five five or six new subscribers to thank. Oh, okay, okay. And I still and you, have to get to the email addresses too. Now that everything's kind of smoothing out from the uh, everything came to kind of a fucking screeching halt there last. Well, I guess it was a week and a half ago now. Any new countries to add to the Grand America hegemony? I think so, but I got to figure out which ones. <laughs> I haven't. I seriously haven't had time to do anything the last little while between my riding lawnmower and my uh, deleting the files. Pretty much chewed up all of my free time. Man, that sucks. Yep. But all good now. I do want to shout out to Paul, the U UPS guy, though. He's uh, he's a new subscriber too, so we'll add him to the list. He says he loves uh, listening to the show. He works for UPS which I've called unreliable parcel service in the past, but I'm actually beginning to like them a little bit more now. And, uh, one, one Paul at a time. One Paul at a time. He's like, while, he, while he's doing his daily deliveries, he likes to listen to the show. Great podcast. How about a shout-out? So thanks no, I love that. local? Paul, the UPS guy? I don't think so. Probably not. Oh, well, See? thanks, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, there you have it. There you have it. So, of course, check out the Money Bomb. That's all what we're talking about here, grandamerica.ca slash moneybomb, how to support the show, put a little cash in your pocket, and uh, help us bail ourselves out of jams. Yeah, and added web bandwidth and stuff like that. And more RPGA. This guy ain't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that I only like to smoke coivas. So when's uh when's the, when can we look forward to the first first new piece for uh, MU? Hopefully this week. Hope I mean I think that I can finish it up and post it tomorrow. I mean I'm out almost 
ending it and then I need just to to load it up at the EMU website you know add the proper you know images to illustrate it and we're good to go and I think it's going to be interesting I'm going to discuss these very interesting correlations between you know uh, UFO encounters and the Celtic tradition of the Fey folk, the Mayan legends of the Alush, and how all of this it seems to be related with salt of all things, you know, good old table salt. Wow, Himalayan sea salt or just table salt? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe the Himalayan sea salt is the one that keeps the Yeti at bay, you know, that's what, maybe that's the reason why they, they haven't found it yet, but no, it's just salt. Sodium. It's all yeah. the fucking same, man. I remember I read that book, Cooking with Einstein, where they talked about like kosher salt and all the different sea salt and regular table salt, all that shit's the same. Exact yeah. same shit. No. Yeah. I, yep. I'm, I'm no. telling you. No. No, I don't believe it. You don't believe it? No. The, the only regular... difference is sometimes the bigger grain salt breaks up a little differently when you chew it. But other than that, it's the same. All the I same shit. I'm not asking you to buy it. I'm just telling you facts. It's just up to you if you want to learn or if you just want to parade on. Well, there has to be something because, you know, salt keeps up, up, making appearances in several uh, magic traditions, you know. I think that. I'm thinking right now of maybe the the voodoo rituals when I think they use uh, salt to make you know protection circles, like right? Voodoo magic man. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can and put yourself and if you put a spirit in a circle of salt or whatever, something yeah, you like can that. put salt across doorways and shit too, and then ghosts can't get out. Yeah, exactly, and and uh, and there has to be a reason why you know there's these old wives tales you know of you know if you spill some salt in the table that you have to toss some of it you know uh, uh over your right shoulder over your right shoulder you know so the devil will get it get it in the eye you know i mean why why should the devil give a fuck about getting some uh, salt on in its eye you know why is it why is that have you ever got salt in your yeah, eye i was just gonna say darren knows <laughs> <laughs> so it's I guess yeah, okay. I mean, it's painful, but uh, in the in this essay, I'm I relate a very interesting uh, uh, like legend that comes from here in Mexico. That so a guy gets into a duel to the death with a Mayan alush, and salt plays a very important role in you know managing to get to leap to tell the tale. Wow. Justin says it's your left shoulder. You know, with me, it's usually a crapshoot. Like, I'd say like half the time I spill the salt, I'll throw it over a shoulder. No but it's way. probably a different one every time. How many <laughs> times have you fucking spilled the salt? I don't know. Once Jesus. Twice a day. I think I've ever <laughs> spilled the salt. Now watch. I guess I do. Yeah, I dropped the salt every once in a while. All the time, probably. <laughs> Fucking salt spilling machine over there. Mm. Oh, one of my sisters is like obsessed with salt. We have to almost, you know, take the fucking shaker from her hand because, <laughs> you know, you know, he loves to, you know, go f f f 
emotions, you know, just on top of this, of her food. And it really is so bad for your health, you know, that we have to, you know, try to control her addiction. Well, you should put her on the Himalayan salt sea like, salt. It's better. It's, it's not better fucking better. You. It's the same shit. You get scammed like a motherfucker. <laughs> it's got less crap in it. I have seen those videos. Because they have to dye it pink. I have seen those videos where they use those big, big ass slabs of Himalayan salt, you know, to cook. Mm-hmm. That looks like a like a like an interesting business idea, you know, to have a restaurant where you serve the food that way, you know. That you know. And when you get there, instead of breadsticks, there's just a fucking salt lick on the table, <laughs> nibble on the corner of it. <laughs> Yeah, and you have to, you know, use a broom to get rid of all the deers, you know, coming to lick the salt. Have you... Uh, Don't lick the salt, just lick the salt. Have you have you heard much of our, our guest tonight, or our guest, uh, our interview this episode with uh, Philip Camella? I'm afraid I haven't. Another newbie. Yeah, the collapse of materialism. Well, I say materialism that, is just getting started. That that title, you know, hooks hooks me up, Ronald. I'm I'm really interested in what he has to say about that because it's something that I've been thinking about lately, you know, a lot. The idea that dude this shit can't last for much longer. Yeah, exactly. But then again, when you talk to atheists and materialists like we just had uh Tonight we had um, C.J. Werdeleman on, and he's uh, he's not a fundamental atheist, but he's definitely, you know, he's in his paradigm where none of this stuff, uh, <clears throat> consciousness will not be proven to live outside the body. Like, he, he, you know, he hasn't looked into it as much, but, you know, it, I understand what you mean. Sometimes you think it's cracking open, and sometimes you think, wow, it's so polarized that it's just never going to shift. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, you know, UFO disclosure, you know, these guys keep telling us that, you know, disclosure is just around the corner. And if you take a serious look at ufology, disclosure has been just around the corner for the last, what, 40 fucking years or more? Yeah. This time. Yeah. <laughs> this time it's going to be different. It's all related, man. When it happens, it'll blow the wide open, the consciousness wide open too. Yeah, and I... I can bet I can assure you this much. When it happens, we're we'll not be gonna be no, we're not gonna be ready for it because we never are. We're just gonna have to cope and go along. I'll be ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready right now. <laughs> well, okay, you but ninety percent of the population is nowhere near ready. Graham's not ready. I look at you over there. You don't look ready. <laughs> okay, so what what are we saying? That you're ready for what? UFO disclosure and... I'm ready to fucking kick alien ass like Independence oh, Day. It's going to be Welcome nice to Earth. However, can, you, can you seriously imagine what happens the day after that happens? You live in a cave. I don't think it's you as bad as... I don't think it's as bad as you think. I don't think it's going to be necessarily good or bad, but it's definitely going to change everything. You know, say goodbye to your job, to your 
the economic security if you have it, you know. I'll Take say this to all much. of that. The first alien life we encounter will be the invading fucking force. Nah. Guaranteed. Dan, that's not. We probably already are on Mars. Please. already destroyed us. No, by I now, said buddy. will be the invading force. Before no. some fuckers come here and start wrecking us up, we're going to go to like Europa or some other fucked up planet and no, start wrecking that's just their shit up. Silly. Europa's a moon, too, by the way. Fuck off. <laughs> I see a moon. <laughs> well, on that note. All right. Well, we better get out, get this episode on with Philip Camella. Yes, we hope you guys enjoy the chat. It's the uh, it's a gooder. Another one of the lost files. Um, yeah, check out the money bomb. Enjoy the interview. Thank you to Red and Graham for coming along and being difficult. And uh, <laughs> enjoy the interview, guys. Bye bye. Bye. Red hair, top shelf, weed roller Dabbing all night, wake up with a weed over Up a hundred blunts, double cup of lean soda I like everything, and life except for being sober Tell me where the girl's looking, that ass the best If she roll my papers, then she pass the test From Cali to Asian, my swag so finesse So hoes give me that ass to go panda Okay, guys, in America tonight, we're going to be chatting with Philip Camella about his book, The Collapse of Materialism. But first, how's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, Darren, I'm doing well, very well. Just well, not good? Just well. Trying to think of something different. So like you said, we've got... uh, Yeah, that's good. Philip Camella is here. He's uh, written a book, The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God. Uh, he's a practicing lawyer and he's got a philosophy degree. And I think this book's been in the works for decades. He's been uh, researching this, uh, kind of started with a paper in 1974. So we're looking forward to about, you know, hearing a story about the uh, the genesis of this book. And, and he's really uh, exposing some of the fallacies here in our current materialistic worldview. So it's kind of right up our alley. We've been talking about some of the dogmatic uh, science that's out there. So we're uh, happy to chat with you, Philip. Welcome to Gramerica. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's great being here. So uh, I'd like to start off with something uh, something a little different, like instead of going right back in your past and all that, um, your book's, book's huge. I've read some of it. I didn't get all the way through it, but it looks quite fascinating. But is there, can you tell us like the top couple things or the top three things that you think where science kind of has it wrong right now or where they're kind of dropping the ball? And when I say science, I kind of mean like mainstream materialistic, you know, dogmatic science. Well, I think the number one thing that the public is confused about that our current scientific mainstream doesn't correct, and that is there's a distinction between the process of science, the method of science, also known as the scientific method, and the content of science. Right now, when someone says science, they can only mean a the current materialistic worldview, which is based upon the world being a machine, and that is a 
self-operating machine, something that exists outside of the human mind, outside of human emotions, that sprang from the void on its own powers. And then out of this chaotic explosion known as the Big Bang, this mechanical world assembled itself into the harmonious universe that we currently see. It's, it's, my, it's my proposition, it's my belief that, that science, our current model of science, has confused the model for the reality. Mm. They have created a model of the universe in order to work with it, in order to experiment with it. Mm. But it's always only a model. And it's a model they know is not correct. It's incomplete and it's wrong. And yet, and yet we see the continued... Uh, perpetuation of this of this machine world model and the the worst part about it is that it affects our life it affects the way government money is spent on Mm -hmm. things like the the large hadron collider for example uh the search for dark matter it affects medical science the way we're searching for different chemicals to cure the body instead of looking for inner cures it affects the way we treat other people the way we have Approach the paranormal and God, and this whole structure, this whole model, I think, has to has to come down. We have to take it down and start from scratch and build it up again. And so that's what the book is about, and it's why it took me so long because it's not <laughs> not easy taking this thing down. And so you know, luckily I'm not the only one at this, but I thought that we had to attack it at the foundation, attack it at its weakest points, and see if we could uh, make some progress here. Yeah, yeah, and and what hits home for me more more so than the well the money and all that is big, and how it does affect our culture. But it also it's the ridicule, right, and the and affecting like the people not even being able to talk about their experiences, right? You know how many people I've met now that have had some kind of strange experience that's affected their life, and they right. they don't talk to people about it, or they do now a little bit more than they used to. But that's where it really uh, bothers me. Right, right. It's it's sort of like if you believe in anything that doesn't fit the model, which includes about 50% of human experience, such as the, the paranormal spiritual experiences, belief in God, the supernatural. If you believe in any of that stuff, you're really an outlier. You're really uh, crazed because these things are not supposed to happen in the mechanical world. But if you if you look at it, from a from being simply a model, yeah, it, it's it's true. It's true that paranormal, something as simple as mind over matter or telepathy, yeah, it's true. Those things don't fit the model. But the question is, are they real? And if they're real, then we need to change the model to adapt to the empirical evidence. Not just ignore that. Right, right. Yeah. Not ignore it because it doesn't fit the model. We we are seeing more and more of that. And I think it's it's amazing to me how much is I don't you know I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot that's being if not covered up then not highlighted that is, sh- is showing the fractures in this materialistic mechanical world. Yeah, I wanted to actually ask you about that. I have conspiracy here written on my whiteboard because uh, you you go into the whole the beginning of the science that we know it and how it sort of became uh, misinterpreted and dogmatic. But I, 
I wonder if it's just it's not bigger than dogma, like that there is some sort of conspiracy, like whether it's a you know monetary conspiracy dealing with people's grants and that they get for their universities or greed or whatever. But there, there definitely seems to be. They still have so much say and control in the mainstream media and academia, and I just wonder how they're able to pull it off without somebody kind of pulling the strings a little bit. Well. I think there's a fine line between a conspiracy and sort of a gentleman's agreement to, um, to, to keep the critics out and to maintain control of the textbooks and the professorships. There, I mean, I, I am relatively conservative in some ways, but I think I'm a radical on this point that, um, that when you are, head of the Nobel Prize Committee, when you have control over the professorships in the leading universities, when you're getting the grant money, yeah, you want to keep that together. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you want to keep, keep that, that, uh, you know, that ship going. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, once you're king of the hill, you don't want to give it up. And, but science itself, when you read about it, science itself is supposed to be a self-correcting system. It's supposed to adapt to the times. Mm-hmm. Science is never supposed to find the ultimate truth. It's always supposed to be expanding its theories, changing its mind, changing its, its, its approach to, to reality. Um, right now, it's, it's sort of frozen in time. Now, luckily, and, and this is what's interesting about this, this, this conspiracy, theory is that there are some leading scientists, for example, Lee Smolin, who wrote a great book called The Trouble with Physics. It's really about string theory and about how, how in order to make it in the physics community, you have to be a string theorist, even though there's no, there's no experiment to prove string theory correct, and yeah. even though <laughs> I wouldn't even think of a theory yeah. or an experiment to prove it correct. So it's a very similar, it's written in a different way. You know, you know, Lee Smolin is attacking the scientific um, uh, mainstream from a little different direction. But, it's, but if you read that book, it's, it's sort of, that's what you're saying, Graham, that it's sort of like this cloistered club. They have control of the poker chips of the remote control, and, they're, and they are controlling the action. And I'm saying, stop, guys. You don't, you don't really have it all together. Let's question some of your opinions. Let's question some of your theories and see if it really works. And my, my conclusion, of course, is that it doesn't. It's and, time to take it down. And there seems to be more and more, more and more people like yourself out there these days. Like uh, we just talked to Rupert Sheldrake the other day, and he kind of goes down that line. And it just seems like... Um, like you've been fighting the good fight for a while now. Have you noticed much of? Uh, have you noticed the tides turning at all? Well, I, you know, I've uh, I've also had Rupert on my show, and I and I've read his his book, um, The Science Delusion, or Science Set Free. I think it's got two different titles. Yeah. And and I think when you when you look back, you know, twenty thirty years, if you look at the bookshelves, uh, there weren't a lot of books going down this route. Hmm. Was the Tower of Physics, which we all remember. And the dancing Wulu masters, and then all of a sudden, whether it was the '90s or whenever it was, there was this. There's been this explosion of books. A lot of them are in the spiritual uh, vein, 
there's that book, The Proof of Heaven, by that neurologist. That yeah, is, that yeah. is great. There's all the Deepak Chopra books. There's there's Greg Braden. You know, everyone. There's a lot of people sort of attacking the Citadel. And what I what I'm trying to do a little differently is that is that I'm approaching it like a lawyer would because I'm a practicing lawyer, and I'm trying to take it down from the bottom. So if ev- and so if everybody sort of does it in their own way whether it's by reporting about life after death or about paranormal or about the Kundalini experiences, uh, Rupert Sheldrake or, or anybody, or Dean Radin, for example, all these things are sort of chipping away at the foundation. At least that's, that's, my, that's, that's my view of things, Darren. It's going to take a lot of effort. You know, I, I go back to that. I quote the, uh, Max Planck a lot where he said, that uh, science progresses funeral by funeral. <laughs> uh, sometimes you got to outlive them, you know, right? I mean, that's sort of my, my last-ditch strategy, which is probably the one I'm going to wind up resorting to, which is outliving them, because it's awfully hard to, you know, to win the argument right now. But, you know, the truth, the truth should win overall, and that's, that's the whole point. Wanna be a bitch if they get to their singularity then though, and then you guys it could be, you know, millennia, you guys could be dogging it out. <laughs> so yeah, what yeah. what do you uh, attribute this explosion to books like you talked about in the, let's say a decade or two ago? Do you attribute it to anything or is it just a matter of our evolution of consciousness? Well, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I mean, I, I think that um there is more than one kind of evolution going on. If you look at Darwin, you know, Darwin is really a evolution of the machine mm-hmm. of the, of the, of the uh, physical form or the phenotype would be the technical term. But there are plenty of writers over, over time, uh, beginning with the Eastern mystics to Hegel, the German philosopher, to Ken Wilber and many others who talk about, the evolution of consciousness. So I and I and let me let me say it as simply as I could without without making this into some kind of um, you know esoteric discussion. I think we're growing. I think we're growing up. I think we're growing up and becoming more aware of who we are and our potential. That to me is what evolution of consciousness means. That's a sort of a simple way to put it. We are really spiritual divine creatures. We are we are gods in in training, and we're starting to realize the unlimited nature of our potential. We find ourselves in a mechanical, imprisoning world. We think we're machines. We convince ourselves through these messages, through these software programs, that we're never going to be anything. We're never going to live longer, get healthy, become anything in life. And if, and if once we accept those opinions, we sort of slide away and we lose. Well, there's more and more people who are taking this unlimited potential approach. And to me, that is showing that it's working and that people are realizing, hey, no one's going to tell me that I didn't, you know, uh, have a precognitive dream or that or that or that I or or that I didn't, um, you know, speak to a dead relative or whatever, whatever the event was. Um, So so I do think. Graham, that it's 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 a gradual evolution of consciousness that is moving in parallel with sort of the quote unquote universe, 
and we're starting to rise up realizing that, that, <laughs> that there's more out there. I, I was just going to say, it seems to be evolving in parallel also with technology. Like if you look at the internet, well, that's it seems to say, to, it's kind of ironic to me that yeah. like the ultimate development of materialism so far is, you know, arguably the internet and you, you kind of can't deny its role in, in the explosion that, that we're seeing. Right. Right. Exactly. I think the, I think the internet is a really good metaphor for, for what, for what I'm talking about. And, and I want to make myself clear here. The technology is a wonderful thing for the most part. Uh, and we, we still use technology in a non-materialistic or spiritual or dream world, but we use it for our, our enjoyment, our benefit, our education. We don't use it to bomb the heck out of, out of other countries to explode little particles and see, and, you know, and see what might happen our, on our computer screens. We, we, we use technology to, to align itself with the goals and the purposes of humankind. Okay? Mm. I'm, I'm clearly a, 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 lo- a, a um, long-lost idealist, right? <laughs> but somebody, somebody has got to tell, somebody has got to sort of promote this, this standpoint, and, and I do it because this is where logic and my research has brought me. You know, I don't do it just because it sounds like a, like a good thing to talk about. I mean, I do it because this is where I've got to from the research, the writing, the thinking, et cetera, et cetera. Huh. Um, it, it's funny though, even though we talk about the evolution of consciousness and the increase in, in people like yourselves writing books and sort of challenging the current paradigm, I think the skeptical movement's also growing. So uh, it, how do you explain that, that or, I mean, you, you might disagree, but I think that there is sort of this polarization between people that are looking into this stuff and, and the hardcore skeptics that are also growing in their own way. Yeah, I think that there, I think there's some truth to that. I think that, um, you know, Michael Shermer, uh, the editor of skeptics magazine, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote that book, the believing brain, where if you believe anything he doesn't believe, then you're crazy. That's basically what that book was about. Uh, <laughs> and then, but, but there, I read, there's another book by Chris Carter. That's one of the best books on the, it's called, it's called Science and Psychic Phenomena. It's on my bookshelf. Um, that is that really tears apart, you know, the skeptical approach. But you see, this is this is what I think is part of the of the situation. I think that the, the skeptics pick out the the likely suspects, the easiest targets, yeah, the straw men, and they sort of like a rag doll. They bang it around to bang the head around because it's you know. They say, oh, well, you know, the biblical literalists think the, that Earth is only 6,000 years old. Isn't that ridiculous? You know, or they, or they pick out the most, um, you know, wild example of, of the paranormal and sort of knock it down. But they can't, you see, what's so, strange to, what's so strange about this, though, is that science itself is based upon coincidences. It's based upon the the the, uh, the the match between human life and the universe, the fine tuning of the universe, and so so the world itself is finely tuned. The world itself is synchronized, and yet we have these skeptics making fun of synchronicities. You know, well, you think of a friend, she calls you up. 
on the phone, you know, or, or you think of a song as plays on the radio. Well, you know, all that is nuts to the materialist, but it happens to be the way of the world. We live in a synchronized universe, the, the, the way the planets revolve, you know, the Earth revolves around the sun, the seasons, the, the food, the weather, everything. It, it, so, so I think that the, there, will, there will always be skeptics, but I think the skeptical movement is, is going to gradually reside. I think that the this other side is going to, you know, the spiritual, non-materialistic folks are going to win out. But I do think you've got to go with your best arguments. You've got to go with your best uh, events. You can't, you know, and I mean, no offense to the Bigfoot followers of the world, but you sort of have to, you know, go with Dean Radin uh, before, you know, uh, the ghost hunters on TV or something. So. <laughs> So, um, so that's what I think is an important part here, uh, to go with your strengths. And I do think the skeptics are going to lose the battle. Huh. You mentioned synchronicity. That's, uh, something we talk about quite a bit on the show here. We have, we have the, uh, the Canadian third party synchronicity rating system, actually. <laughs> um, so do you think, do you put any, uh, any profound meaning into them? Like, uh, so I, you know, some people say it's a sign of this or that. Do you have a personal outlook on synchronicities? Well, I think that synchronicities show that there is, that we are participating in a story, that there's one story to life. When you read a novel, a novel by definition has all sorts of synchronicities. You know, the classic, um, Story where where uh, Prince Charming meets the princess. Well, the the writer aligned it so that there would be true love in the story. That was a synchronistical event. Well, in our world, when things when when strange coincidences happen, what it what it tells me is that there's one author. It drives it drives to the conclusion that there's one mind, that there is a spirit, some call it God, at the base of reality. That is, that is telling the story. So I'm not sure if that's profound or not, but I do think that the synchronicities show that we don't live in a world of randomness, of chance events. Because if you can't, if you can't see meaning in things like, I mean, my favorite um, synchronicity, you guys probably have a bunch of your own, but the one I like a lot is it's in my own book is where uh, a potato farmer lost her ring in a potato field. And then like years later, she goes to the store and buys a bag of potatoes and finds her ring in a potato. I mean, <laughs> it, it's things like that. Say, now you've got to be kidding me. Now, how can that be possible unless there was some kind of unifying theme to the story we call life, a story, you know, a theme we, we don't quite understand and we just get glimpses of it now and then. Like a programmed, uh, do you ever think about the digital holo, holographic or simulated universe kind of theory? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that I think those are all sort of different perspectives on the same theme. I mean, I have an article that I'm not done with. It's something like um, it's something like uh, you know, science believes the world's a hologram, but they have misplaced the projecting source. You know, the it's 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 really amazing to me. When I read some science, they are more far out than some science fiction. I mean, some of these guys think that information in a black hole 
is creating holograms that create the universe. Okay, now maybe okay, maybe it sounds maybe maybe to some people it sounds scientific, but I think that the one mind is dreaming the world, and which is very similar to a hologram. But the only difference is that we know dreams are possible. We know the mind is capable of dreaming. And so, therefore, why call it a whole? It's like a hologram. But, you know, you guys probably know how holograms are created. It's very, it's a very complicated <clears> thing related <throat> to mirrors. So, so we know that the mind is capable of dreaming. We already know that these, this hologramic-like world is possible. You don't need to, like, speculate that a black hole is generating information and generating a hologram. So, but, but holograms are really cool. It's a really cool, um, you know, phenomena. So you when, know, you, when you say one mind, do you, do you mean kind of like what people call the one consciousness or the source or God or the field or whatever that term may be? Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever word you want to use. I mean, I, the way I, um, I argue... I mean, the simple argument I put in I put in the beginning of the book is that in the mechanical worldview, if you think about this, when you look up at the stars, we all assume that there is one independent universe outside of us, and we're all, and we're all separate people. We have separate brains. We're separate robots going down our own slots on the track, and there's an independent universe out there like a like a movie screen okay i say reverse the roles the reason we see the same sky is because we have the same mind and are participating in the same dream <clears throat> as soon as you go to that perspective all of a sudden to me the world opens up because now you explain you explain the paranormal you explain uh the idea of god you explain the harmony of the universe. You, you, you start, everything starts falling into place. And it's that simple sort of conversion of the way we look at the world that to me is the key. And that was really, so, so that's how I get there. You know, that's how I get there. I get there by saying that if, if the one mind is capable of dreaming or hallucinating on its own, a real seeming world. I listened to one of your shows and the one was talking about an hallucination. If one mind could hallucinate something that looks real to them, mm -hmm. well, wouldn't it make sense that the united mind could, could project, dream a, a natural world that seems real to the dreamers? Mm -hmm. it's, it's the same principle. And so, uh, and I'm not the first one to say that, it's also in Plato and Sir James Jeans, you know, in, in his book, The Mysterious Universe, has a very similar kind of comment about that. So, so yes, I do think there is one mind. Uh, I think it can be proven. And I do think that when you go there, if you, even if you go there hypothetically or go there through a scientific, you know, go there through a scientific hypothesis, just imagine that that's right. Things mm. start falling into place. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to so, where does that put the dreamers? Well, it puts the it puts the dreamers into into a place where they must take responsibility for combining efforts to dream a better world. It's the same. 
It's the same goal we've always had throughout history. And I, I go back to that, that song, uh, We Are the World, the Bruce Springsteen and Michael Jackson, all those guys, that song back yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. We are, I mean, it's the same, or John Lennon, imagine, uh, imagine all the people, whatever that's, whatever the lyrics were. But in any event, it goes back to the same thing. Imagine if we, if we, we accepted the truth of the one mind with the same rigor that we accept the law of gravity. Mm-hmm. Imagine that it was a scientific principle and it became real to us from our core of our being, beings, all of a sudden we're going to be pulling, pulling the, 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 uh, the ship. We're going to be heading in the same direction. We're going to be looking to see that, hey, this, this is better for me because I could lead a better life, a longer life, and it's better for the world. It's not just a happy thought. It is a scientific principle. Yeah, so, there'd, there'd be less war, less hurt. Uh, you know, people would respect each other more. There'd be more love in the world. I mean, if if we realized we were all connected with that dogma, I mean, that would change everything. Right, right. Right now, when you look at religion right now, they try to beat us with a ruler, some of them, to to accepting the same principle without without helping us understand the the deep truth of it. We're taught, you know, we're, we're ordered to recite the Ten Commandments or to recite or to recite the Golden Rule, and we're ordered that this is this is how to get to heaven. Okay, all that, oh, all that. Still is, there? Yeah, I'm here. Hello. Yeah. All that, all that is Hello? true. Yeah, I'm here. Hello. 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 I'm here. All right. So, okay. Sorry. Try to continue on there. Um, you're talking about religion and. Yeah. I, yeah. The point is that religion tries to teach us moral lessons from the outside in. All right. Yeah. Okay. From, from you know, using a ruler on our fingers or hands and instructing us that we're supposed to recite things like the Ten Commandments or the Rosary or prayers or, or the Golden Rule in order to be good. It's, it's not a lesson that they're helping us understand the truth of it. They're, 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 uh, they're instructing us as if we owe a duty to a higher being. Now, it works to a degree, but I'm, I'm saying that if we ingrain morality as a necessary part of the world being one, then it becomes natural to our being, and it becomes much deeper because we understand the truth of it. We don't have to be instructed to treat each other better. It becomes critical to our well-being. And so it's a much, much different, more powerful uh, way to, to build a better world because it becomes a scientific truth. See? So that's, that's really where I'm going with this. I mean, I think that the ultimate goal, as I say in the book, is to unite in physical form that which is united at the spiritual level, at our souls. See, that's what gets left out of the New Age movement when people talk about it or when they make fun of it. Like, I, I consider myself sort of a little New Agey, that type of thing, and all the spiritual stuff. And the people that I meet are 
very loving, very open-minded. There's no, there's not a lot of dogma, right? There's right. There, obviously there's going to be some differences on belief systems and all that, but for the most part, people are left to, to believe what they want to believe. And it doesn't, you know, you can believe in, in God or no God or, you know, the source or whatever you want to call it. And people still make fun of, uh, fun of the new age thing, but, but it's, that's, what's different than the scientific dog when the religious dog was, and we, we had a healer on recently and she was talking about the beauty of being in a, in a Rohan workshop where there was no dogma. You could just believe your belief system had no impact or effect on your relationships in there or what you're learning or anything like that. And I mean, I think that's where we're going to go. What's going to grow based on people's personal experiences and the people that they meet in those environments. Well, you know, life and need still needs to be put into a framework. We all, we all want to view things in a big context, a structure. And when I, and the, the way things are right now is that our minds are really split because we know that science is the leading authority figure. They're preaching a materialistic dogma, but then organized religion is, in my mind, preaching a archaic dogma, a, a outdated conception of God. And then you have the fringe folks, mm -hmm. maybe, like, maybe like us, where, where, you know, where we sort of, we want to be credible, uh, but on the other hand, we also, at least speaking for myself, I also realize the truth of a lot of things that the quote-unquote New Agers believe in. And whether, whether it's the paranormal, supernatural, or whatever, God or whatever, um, there, there is a middle ground that unites the two. But to me, the problem with the New Age movement is, is like you're saying, is that it doesn't have a metaphysics. It doesn't really have a credible foundation. It doesn't explain phenomena that like quote unquote science does, you know, with evolution, right. being, you know, with being a good example, the big bang theory being another example, you sort of have to, if, because otherwise, if you don't, if you don't take on those big issues, evolution, creation, that kind of stuff, you really are an outlier. You really like the freak show in the, in a circus. That's the way I view the new age movement sometimes. I mean, not that I'm, I also, as I said, I'm sympathetic to the new age movement and some people would, would put me in that camp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but I, but I, but my goal is to take over the big tent. See, I don't want to be an outlier. I want to be, I want to take control of the tent. And so that, that can only be done, I think from the top down and probably the bottom up. I haven't figured it out yet, but it's going to take a while. Yeah, and you talk about that in your book, right? Is is we need a new, uh, I guess, would it be theory of everything or a new um, scientific well, paradigm so, kind of? Right, right, new scientific paradigm, new worldview. We need to like change out the operating system. Yeah, you know, we need to take that that disc out that says two worlds, uh, material world, religious world. And take that out and put in one world. You know, the world, the world is based upon one mind. We are participating in the dream of God. We, we experience the full range of human experience. We make sense of the, of, of the harmonies of the world. We make sense of, of the truths of religion. Now, 
Do we have free will? I'm a I'm a big believer in, in free will. I mean, I I don't understand any. I like I've never been convinced of the deterministic arguments. I I don't really understand. I think it's more of an academic argument because uh, I don't understand how. I mean, people who get wrapped into wrapped up into thinking that that there's no free will. I I've never understood the argument. I've never understood it, and I I have studied determinism. But I I don't see how how we don't have free will. So, I mean, who who is determining it? Who is? I mean, you sort of have to imagine that somebody is determining your life. Well, aren't you imagining that? Well, it could be pre-designed, though, right? I guess is that a part of determinism? Pardon? It could be pre-designed, though, couldn't it? Everything just being fate, like you're stuck on this road, and you know things are going to happen, and you don't have a choice in the matter. Well. You know, sometimes, sometimes in retrospect, that is that is a the the only attitude you could take when something bad happens. You know, you sort of say, "Well, that's fate." But isn't part of our quest to change our fate to look just you know to look fate in the eye and do something different? I mean, you know, it's 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 part of our nature, and so I think we all, we're always living in this tension between. You know, how much can we control what we can be? And my feeling about it is pretend as if there are no limits and do the best you can. And if you happen to get shot down, we'll get up and try again. I mean, that, that I think is really what it means to, to live. I mean, you're, you're we're always trying, always trying to overcome adversities, what people tell you you can't do. I mean, you guys probably have your have your own own experience. You're doing a popular radio show, and I'm sure people said it would never happen. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we're always we're always overcoming, and yeah. so so I think that it's a it's a fast it's a great topic. I mean, we could you could spend hours and hours and hours debating it. I just think it's more healthy to, to go with the free will approach. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the whole the whole thing with free will. I kind of stay away from it personally. Yeah, it's it's I took a course in that in college and yeah. I, I sort of came back. I sort of said, okay, it's, I'm 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 going with the free will. End of <laughs> end of topic. I mean I don't I don't want to tie myself in not thinking about that someone there's a puppeteer up up ahead, you know, uh, I'm sorry, above above the clouds sort of yeah. Directing the action, I said, I, I'm not going to go that direction. So, so speaking about talking about all this stuff, you have your own show. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I have a show called Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. It's on uh, webtalkradio.net. I've been doing it for a couple of years. I had used my pen name, which was Philip Mirton, for a while, and I've converted to being one person, yeah. uh, which, is, which is Camilla. And, and, and on, that, on my show, I have... I have the full range. I mean, I have people. I have people from the paranormal world to to science professors, right? And so it's it's sort of everyone has their own little different niche. And my niche is I try to have I try to have the full range of people on. And I you know I'm a practicing lawyer, so I look at things like what is the evidence and what's the logic of the argument. Mm-hmm. And there's some people like Russell uh, Tag uh, Targ, Russell, yeah. Or Dean Radin and Richard yeah, yeah. Sheldrake, those guys I think are as credible as you know yeah. some of the scientists on, and and we don't we don't 
give, you know, we don't give these folks the respect they deserve sometimes because they're viewed as being outliers. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Targ and, and Dean Raiden are on our, on our wish list for sure. Do you think uh, reincarnation sneaks in there someplace? Well, you know, reincarnation is, is a great topic. And I, I think, you see, here, here's my problem with reincarnation. First of all, if spirit evolves as one, and let me putting this, putting this into my little worldview here, my paradigm, that it would make sense for the, the spirit, the mind of God to evolve over time, to pick up lessons from the past and to learn, sort of like a spiritual uh, gene kind of a thing. But my problem reincarnation is the one-to-one correlation, <laughs> i.e., i.e., if you're, you know, that you could come back, that uh, that I could come back as a as a dog, as a particular dog. I mean, I don't understand how a physical being in one era could come back as a specific person. Okay, but I do think it's possible, and I have seen, as you guys probably have, some. There's some examples that are so compelling yeah. of one-to-one reincarnation. So I think, I think Darren, that I think it's, I think it's possible. I think, I think it's the one-to-one correlations I think are rare. I think they're rare, but I do think it, it could happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wouldn't put my cards on it. You know, people say, well, just wait till you're reincarnated because things will be better. I see. I'm going to try to make the best of what I've got here. Yeah. It's sort of like the life after death thing. I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure I'm sitting here right now, but yeah. my my probability of being in a heavenly realm after after I die I I would put that a lot less than one hundred percent. Yeah. So huh. so that's what, that's a little bit the way I feel about reincarnation. It's probably true, but I'm going to do the best I can right now. And if it, if it doesn't work, I'm going to put some chips on reincarnation. <laughs> Yeah, it's it gets pretty it gets pretty complex and pretty deep when you get into it. There are people talking about you know concurrent lives, like it's not really past lives and future lives. It's all happening within the same you know space because there's no time and space, and it gets pretty complex with that. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, could, it could it could get pretty far out. I mean, our 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 one world that we're living in right now is pretty doggone cool and wondrous. And there's all sorts of, you know, things that other people might call miracles happening. I, right now, I'm pretty happy with the one world. I don't yeah. need to be floating around looking for something else right now. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind astral traveling a little bit, <laughs> or at least yeah, even lucid, yeah. dre- lucid dreaming would be, uh, I got I to gotta get back into that. Hey, yeah, have, you, have you listened to uh, Alex Takaris at all, or have you ever had him on? He, he does a podcast called Skeptico, and he talks a lot about... Uh, this battle between the duality of consciousness and the materialist. No, I have heard of him and I haven't had the occasion yet to tune in, but thanks for reminding me that I should do that. (laughs) Yeah. It'd just be a good fit. I think, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's fighting a good fight too over there. Yeah. Yeah. I may, I may have to look him up because you know, it's, it's nice to have, what it's nice to have a company, you know, misery. Uh, it, it, you know, or more the merrier, and I mean, don't you think that the the critical mass is building? I mean, you guys interview all sorts of people. I mean, you must. I hope you guys think that you know this that this mass of people that are going down this route here of open mindedness of criticizing science is growing as well. Yeah, I feel like that. Yeah, it's definitely getting seems to be getting bigger all the time. Um, 
but then but then we talked about last night with uh the bbc um having a meeting with their people to make sure that there's no cranks on their shows anymore that they limit the amount of cranks and it had to do with uh climate change skepticism and that type of thing but that's when i flipped to the other side and go jesus we're still at this point where uh you know the mainstream media is trying to limit uh the view of the other side because of the skeptical movement like psychop bitching and complaining to the bbc so that's what kind of makes me think the other way yeah you know you're right i saw there there was a uh, there's something i think dean Radin was the was the target of that same kind of um you know exclusionary um tactic for a conference in california i you know i read about it's still it's still one of these things where if it doesn't fit the model you're out and you know that that cannot last long, but I but I do think, and I I had somebody on my show a couple of weeks ago, who was talking about things that were a little on. The, I called the show the the outer limits of the paranormal, that were a little on the outer limits. I thought, and and the point I made to him was, was in in order for this movement to succeed, we have to go with our strength. It's sort of like when you're proving a case in court. You're going to put your best evidence on, your best witnesses on, you know. So, so I do think that even if everything that I'm saying is right, there's still going to be people that are 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 quacks. <laughs> it doesn't mean everything goes. It just means that there's room for this for this breath of experience for these odd events to be true. Okay, so, I think that's an important distinction to make. Do you have any sort of a take on, uh, or have you given any thought of where, where different substances like DMT or, or psilocybin, where people are having kind of, you know, are talking about the same sort of thing, like oneness and, and things like that. Do you, have you, have you given any thought to where they could fit into the equation? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a really good sort of example of this whole thing. I mean, Ken, Ken Wilbur, uh, who, is written a bunch of books in this area. He's got his own his own thing, uh, but he has this uh, sort of this story about stages of consciousness, which we've talked about already. You know, this this idea where you where you gradually be move up this evolution of consciousness and you become more aware. You sort of go from a solo mentality to a to a global, and then the overmind and the big mind and all this. But there's also this thing called states of consciousness where the, the natural drugs and other drugs 
would put you into this this state would would rise would actually rise your level or raise your level of consciousness and the stages of consciousness to me is when that high is frozen it becomes fixed mm. See? so so i think and when you think about the you know the um the, the hallucinogenic drugs you know most people a lot of people can't handle it because they're not at that level of consciousness to, to take to, to to deal with it you know and and that's sort of the same way that conscious evolution i think is that a lot of the resistance the things that i might be talking about and others is because you haven't quite mastered your your mind yet see? so i i i'm a big i think there's a lot there darren with with, with psilocybin and those drugs i think that if you want to experience what a higher level of consciousness might be like, then that's one thing that I would do. Now, you could also do it with marijuana. I mean, it's very similar. Um, but that's, that's really what, if, if you look at that rise in consciousness, and if you may imagine understanding what that means, controlling it, and taking advantage of it, now, now you're getting somewhere. Now I think you're evolving. So you would almost put that as you know something that's kind of snuck in there by the designer to sort of to sort of let you peek beyond the curtain. Isn't isn't it strange? I uh, you know isn't it strange that there are natural substances, most of which, as we know, are illegal in our in our materialistic model world that get you that that right that raise your consciousness. Isn't that weird? I mean, we don't under, we don't appreciate that enough, and I appreciate you're asking me this question because it's something that I haven't talked about in my own show very much. But isn't that strange? Why would that be? And so, I would completely agree with you that that those natural substances are there to sort of teach us about ourselves. <laughs> that's I, that's the way I look at it. Uh, it's. I mean, why, why else would it get you, why else would it have that effect on you? I think it's so, it's so strange to think, oh, well, you know, it's just one of those, it just happens to be a, a plant that evolved with this property to get you high. I mean, that to me doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, and some of these, you know, some of these tribes down in the Amazon and stuff like that, I mean, for for them... You know, they're they're you know, people would say they're a little farther behind us, uh, technologically wise, but it almost seems to me like, you know, they've they're still holding on to something from our from our forgotten past that we're either, you know, whether it be on purpose or not, we're trying to rule it out, you know, with a pretty much an iron fist and, and trying to spread that war across the entire planet. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's a very good point. If you look at the, the quote-unquote primitive cultures. Um, one of my favorite, uh, you know, in addition to, of course, the American Indians, is the Australian Aborigines, where you know they're they're living in most of Australia, and they're in the central there, and it's sort of like a completely different culture in, in Australia, and they have they have a thing called Dream Time, which mm. sounds like my book, frankly, um, where they're into this whole different mindset, and of course, I'm uh, and I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure that natural quote unquote plants are part of their their culture. 
and so when you when you consider that we there's, there's so many of us seeking salvation in something outside of us the best example being money and big things that you know without getting too corny about this you know as your consciousness raises that stuff becomes a little less important because you're finding fulfillment in just being there you yeah. know just experiencing life without you know, again without being too corny but it it really shows i mean when you think about it we cannot all be rich but we can all have a higher level of consciousness. I think yeah. it's I think it's Pittori or something like that that they do that they were doing over there or probably still do to this day. Yeah. I think that uh, a good psilocybin dose should be part of uh graduation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would definitely would it I mean, would it be uh without getting I mean, how about Richard Dawkins uh, you know, experimenting with 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 one of these drugs? <laughs> plants i mean something you know somebody that is really hardcore yes, yes you know they may they may appreciate hey maybe there's something to this you know because frankly <laughs> I, I think there's a relationship between what we're talking about and open-mindedness i think there's a relationship between the two we talked about slipping some psilocybin in the in the tea at the bilderberg meetings <laughs> <laughs> that would be like the way to change the world right there yeah well you know what's once you um once you experience it you you know you can, you can't go back and it's one thing Ken Wilber talks about is that once you once your consciousness is raised you you don't go backward and and that's something that I think is very powerful i mean I mean no one's going to convince me, for example, to start saying the rosary and praying to a statue on the wall you know I mean I'm beyond that yeah and there's certain things that I'm also beyond that probably that some people may not agree with. But the point is, is that once you, once you ascended there, that little mountain, that little hill of consciousness, you don't go back. And that I think is why there is so much hope for us because if the quote unquote mind spirit source God is evolving, it's not going to reverse field. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to continue going up. Yeah. I totally agree. So it's pretty exciting, I hope. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, that's why we do this. Yeah, I look at the war on drugs as just being kind of another arrow. You know, the war on drugs is slowly crumbling away, and it's kind of just another, like you were saying, it's just another different sort of angle that, you know, some people might not even see as being connected, but that's, you know, on the other side of the of the hill chipping away at the roots over there. It's like a little battle on the war on consciousness, and there's all these different battles going on. You're exactly, you're exactly right. I, I mean, this is obviously a very radical topic, but, but, but why is it that we put people in prison for getting high? Why is it? Well, one, uh, let me give you, one reason might be that we're afraid. We're afraid. Yeah. We're afraid of what we might learn or what we might learn about ourselves. Yeah. You know, and it's something we got to get over. So, I think a lot of it might just have to do with cash too. I mean, you got the CIA <laughs> bringing the shit in the back door, and <laughs> well, I mean, I'm I'm surprised. I mean, one one thing that I think is driving on this topic that is driving the legalization of marijuana is taxes, is being able to tax it. Yeah, isn't that I fun? Mean, isn't that ironic? I mean, how how long ago was it when 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 um gambling and casinos was like the evil? 
you know, it, it was, wasn't too long ago when it was probably a mortal sin to, to go to a casino. Now there, now it's a, it's it's you know lotteries. It's why not only is it fun, but it's a way for state governments to help with the, with their uh, income. Huh. Yeah, it's funny. With all the people we talk to, that's one thing I found is that like all the evil shit that seems to be happening, or the even the shit that's not maybe evil, but it's just not going in the right direction. It seems like at the root of it all is always the almighty dollar. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also control. It's control and fear. You know, we you don't want to. I mean, why? You know, the scientists that I criticize so much. I mean, part of it is. Fear, fear of their job, of losing their job, of losing their stature, of their professorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but also, it's it's fear, it's fear of the unknown, you know. And I, I really, I truly believe that it will take another generation before the paradigm shifts, uh, because it's sort of to me, I, you know, the metaphor I, I currently have in my brain is the metaphor of like a clean stream of water and it gets polluted over time and you got to keep adding clean water to it, which would be a new generation, clean minds, pure minds, open minds. And you keep adding that, those new generations until, until the whole stream is clean. Cleaner. I was just going to ask you that, what you thought for the time frame. So of the collapse. I say like, two generations. That's funny. Me and my wife were just having this conversation the other day. We were talking about, Oh, I can't remember. I, I'm not going to get into it, but it was something to do with the pipeline anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, what, my argument was, I said, well, we're not the generation that fixes this shit. We're the generation that identifies that raised, it. No, yeah, we identify it and we gain the ability to communicate on a mass scale and find like-minded people. And we raise the next generation grows up with that so that they can raise the generation that fixes the world. So you think it's two generations? I think it's my grandkids. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think we are, I think we are the generation. I mean, I, that's, that's, I, in my uh, conservative moments, Darren, I would agree with you, but I think we are the generation. And I think that it comes out of the sixties and the, and the, uh, the, the, the revolution, you know, the, the rebellion, the, the radical sixties and the whole, the whole, that whole era where people, kids started questioning authority. I think that's where the whole thing begins. And I just think this is a sort of a development from, from the 60s, frankly. I think it all, that was a radical time. And, and, and there's many of us, like me, that have sort of brought the debate to a different level, trying to change the system in, in a, you know, in a big way, not just, you know, March of March on Washington. Wow. That, that could be a big, a big backfire. We were talking to a, a guy afterwards about, uh, about the hippie movement and the dark heart <laughs> of the hippie movement. So that should be interesting because he's, yeah. un, he's uncovered some crazy shit about that. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with you. I think it's going to happen quicker than we think. I think the things are moving so fast right now that yeah. I don't think that uh, whether it might not be the collapse of materialism, but the collapse of, or I think maybe the financial system or something will collapse first or, or something, uh, something more, uh, hmm, more culture based kind of than, than the science part of it. Yeah. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but there's, there's, there's going to be a big change and it, and 
I think that we are really, I hate to use the word, but I think we are approaching the tipping point. Uh, but gosh, I have no, I mean, frankly, I have no idea. I'm, I'm thinking this is the generation. When I ask the question to my guests, most people uh, say something like 10 to, 10 to 20 years, something like that. Wow. And yeah. a, lot of people, a lot of people say it's going to happen faster than you think. And hmm. things, just like you said, Darren, it's accelerating. So all, all you could do is just, you know, continue pushing and, and uh, hopefully we'll be around when it happens. So did you have any personal experiences at all or anything uh, unexplainable or anything that also helped you stay on this path or, or, or was it just, uh, you know, like years of, of interest and just keep plodding away on, on developing this book? Well, the way I, first of all, I didn't have like a, you know, out of body experience or a Kundalini or something that was the epiphany. I mean, I think I have had an out of body experience, but it wasn't, it wasn't the triggering event. Right. I say is that the fact that I actually wrote the book is, is a fulfillment of a sort of a vision that I've always had. And so my whole life, I've, I think is sort of like one big experience that tells me that I am on the right path. I mean, so, so I don't need to go outside of the ordinary, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, mean, totally. I, I, like, I like my synchronistical experiences as much as anybody. And I do keep track of them and yeah. I do. And once in a while I'll have something that might be, a precognitive kind of a dream or something like that. I mean, I do have those kind of things. Right, right. But, but I am convinced that the world we're living in is a miracle, is, is, is that we are supernatural creatures in a supernatural world, and I don't need other proof of it. Okay? That's the way, that's the way I, I look at things. So, you know, I have a talk I give. It's called The Logical Path to Spirituality. And unfortunately, I'm more of a logical type, but I'm, I'm, I, wound, I wind up at the same place that a lot of people have had these, you know, these out-of-body or spiritual awakenings, yeah. right, awakening kind of things. Um, so I'm one of the few people that haven't had one, at least one that triggered my, my way of thinking. Oh, oh, yeah, I think I'll give the potato story an 8.9. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's the highest ever and and i didn't i didn't i i sort of gave you the abbreviated version too yeah because there it, it is it is one that i just love that one i've um, had a few complaints about being too harsh but hey somebody's <laughs> gonna hold everybody down yeah right right there's gotta be some that that anybody would say that is just too strange <laughs> no that is just too strange i'm not gonna i mean I don't know. There's a couple other ones, but that, that's my favorite one. So is there anything else you want to mention in your book that we haven't touched on? Well, not, not really, except, except that what I try to do is I try to make this like a one-stop shopping. Um, it's, it's, I cover a lot of ground because I go from the paranormal to philosophy to science to religion because i'm trying to say folks for one moment out of your lives hit the pause button and try to look at the world differently 
and this is this is the real world. These are these are maybe original ideas. Many of them may be considered to be original, but there is not only one way to look at the world. There's other ways to look at the world. And when we start opening our minds to other possibilities, we start also opening up a a world of greater potential, of greater fulfillment, happiness. All these things can become true. And it can be done in a logical, scientific, methodical way. You don't necessarily have to have an out-of-body experience to do it. So so I I think overall uh, what I'm trying to do is open minds and give people encouragement that that we are really um, divine spiritual creatures trying to find a way out of this this imprisoning materialistic world. So I'm hopeful that that I will be part of the team that that leads to a different, more promising paradigm. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that team, are you going to be attending any conferences or or doing any uh, lectures uh, with your book or anything like that? Yeah, I've, I've all sorts of things. I've all sorts of things um, being scheduled right now, and things are not quite firmed up. I mean, my problem is that I also have a I'm also a, a uh, practicing lawyer, yeah. <laughs> so I I tr- and I have the, have my own radio show. So I'm everything for me is spread out. Yeah. I juggle. I juggle. So I'm doing a lot of writing right now. I have a lot of articles being published and in the works. And obviously, um, the collapse of materialism is something that I probably will continue to update. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out there as much as possible and uh, join and you know and join the the force. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So it's, what about your radio show? How often do you do it? Uh, it's once it's once a week. Wow. Uh, it, the the shows are on Mondays. Yeah. And uh and I do the same thing. I record them. Yeah. And uh you know and I I don't know about you guys but it's been a it's been great. Speaking with people of you know from all over the world of uh, conversations like this, where uh, again, 10, 10, 20 years ago, we would not a be having a conversation over the internet and b talking about these kinds of topics. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's really it's really been a good development, I think, in our in our in, in our world of the internet. Couldn't go back. That's what I always say when I. Uh... When I hit the lotto, I'm going to get a chunk of land someplace and go off grid. I just need a giant, I need one of those backyard nukes and then I need a broadband tower. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I know that's the problem. You still need the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know what we would do without at this point in time. I mean, maybe as I said before, you can't go back in stages of consciousness. I don't think we can go back in technology no, either. No, that's right. Geez, tonight before our interview, the, our internet was slipping in and out, and we we're both looking at each other like, "What do we do?" Yeah, <laughs> your heart start, you know, drops, and you're thinking, "No, wait, there's no way out of this without the internet." Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know where I would be. I mean, it it's made things so much faster and more convenient. So, so is there anything else you want to mention before we yeah, start? Yeah, where can uh, our listeners track you down? Well, okay. First of all, uh, as I said, uh, my uh, you know the radio show conversations beyond science and religion. I have a website, which is conveniently called the Collapse of Materialism. Nice one. Which yeah, it's original name there. Um, 
and the book is on Amazon.com. And I'm 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 reachable at philipcamella at gmail.com, and that's C-O-M-E-L-L-A. And you know, I sort of work slow because I have other things going on, but I'm always available, and I'm looking forward to exchanging ideas, debating, and trying to get some discourse going about whether we are heading in the right direction with our little mechanical worldview here. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's great. We're going to link to all that in the show notes. And um, we want to thank you for uh, helping everybody open their minds a little bit more than they were before. And thanks for coming to Grime America. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. It's been, it's been it's been a lot of fun talking with you, and I wish you guys the best of luck uh, on your show. It's, it's 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 really a great show. Thanks a lot, Philip. Thanks. Okay, guys. Okay, have a great night. Back to the Great America Show. That was our chat with Philip Camella. The collapse of materialism. Big thanks to Philip for coming on the show. Another lost episode. Lucky to get that one back. But yeah, that was a that was a fun one. Of course, Phil has a show of his own, so he's an old pro. Yeah, I love it, man. Talking about some of those other uh, uh, authors like Chris Carter and Lee Smolin and all that. I'm gonna link to all that in the show notes and and. Uh, I gotta. I pulled out. Do you know when I when I went home after this episode, I looked on my bookshelf and the first book I saw was Chris Carter, Science and Psychic Phenomena. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good good book. You guys should uh, take a look at picking it up. It's a thick one too. So you're you're talking about the collapse of materialism. Right? Yeah, yeah. Visions of science, dreams of God. Yeah, it's a nice thick one. You know, I you, sometimes when you're buying a thin book, it seems like you're not really getting enough bang for your buck, but. This one's nice and thick. Good, good read. Yeah, fascinating shit. Always, a, always a pleasure. So we want to apologize to Philip, Philip too for the delay, but uh, we we did it. What we we did, we could there. Yeah, it's not bad. Inside a month, turn around. Yeah, I'd rather not, but livable. Yeah. Big thanks to Phil for coming on the show. Of course, we'll link to uh, his show and all his stuff on the in the show notes, so you guys can check that out. And uh, next episode is going to be who? Oscar? Bigfoot. Yeah, Brian Brown, Bigfoot show. Bigfoot, finally. Yeah. It only took uh, 14 months. Yeah. 14 months in the making. Now maybe we'll do like three in the next couple months or something like that. Now that we've broke the seal, the Bigfoot seal. Yeah, and our next uh, live show is... Uh, next two, Next Monday? Monday, yeah. It's on the website, and it's uh, about the one great year. America.ca slash backstage. Yeah, fucking great book. I'm just flying through it right now. I love it. Reading, reading, or listening, reading? Uh, reading, reading. 
Ooh, look at this I guy. Know, that's what I know. Reading books and shit. Anything else? Hit the money bomb up. GrimeAmerica.ca slash money bomb. Yeah, help support the show, please. It's costing us more than we thought. Yeah. Yeah, if we keep deleting files, it's just going to get more expensive. <laughs> and as always, uh, yeah, check out the show notes, all the music you heard. Spam. Spam. Gram. Like a motherfucker. G-R-A-H-A-M. Please review the show. Yeah. Yeah. Review the show too. Yeah. iTunes. I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well. Uh, or you can just go to grimeamerica.ca slash iTunes and bring it right to the review page. Take you five minutes and it'll make our day. So there you go. Make yeah. our day. Yeah. And that, that email was at grimeamerica.com. At grimeamerica.com. You don't spam gram. Oh, we got to try that new jingle out too. I got to get that ready to go. One Neil made for us. I'll test around that next show. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you guys next week.